I only watched that video 500 times. Well, welcome to City Church this morning, to Mr. Smith's neighborhood. This morning you're going to hear my heart, my dream, my passion. Just a few minutes ago as I was walking in, someone asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm living the dream. And I said, oh, that's just a cliche. I said, the dream for me, the dream for me is being here with you this morning. When God gave me a dream to start this church over 12 years ago, it was to bring his love to this city. See, the big idea this morning that we have in this neighborhood, in Mr. Smith's neighborhood, the big idea that we have is that when we love our neighbor the way that Jesus did, we become more like him. When we love our neighbor the way that Jesus did, we become more like him. This morning, if you have your Bibles, well, these feel good. I might be able to run around a little bit this morning. I'm going to do my little, there you go. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're in a series entitled, I Love My City. Last week, how many of you enjoyed having Alan Griffin with us? Wasn't that awesome? Come on, let's give God a great big hand. It was a great week last week. If you weren't here, get the CD, get the DVD. It was an awesome time. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to read just a couple of verses. It's probably the most famous story that Jesus told. And it was about being a neighbor. It was about being a good neighbor. You know, last night we were praying and we had an incredible time in our Saturday night prayer meeting. I challenge you, the dads, I challenge the men of this church just once a month. Make it on your priority list to come out and to join with us for one hour just to pray. See, here's the challenge. The reason why we find it difficult to pray for any period of time is because we're praying, always praying for ourselves. But on Saturday night, we gathered together and we prayed for you. Last night, we were praying for you. We were praying for the city. And then a group of us went out and we handed out flyers and we invited people to church. And we had a blast. We went to the largest bar in town called The Barn. We went to the wing house last night and invited people to church. We went to the bowling alley and we went to the restaurant. And you know, it's just a wonderful thing. When you begin to see God work in your life, you start praying for other people, you begin to see your world differently. When you begin to pray and get God's heart, your life begins to change and you begin to see your world differently. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, we're going to read verses 25 through verse 37. I'd like to have you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, everyone say expert, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the teacher of the law. He's a smart guy. Everyone say smart guy. He's a good guy. Everyone say good guy. He's a smart guy and he's a good guy. And he asked the question that every person on the planet at some point asks. Some people come up with the wrong conclusion. But everyone wants to know what happens after you die. This whole concept of eternal life for this particular brother was very narrow. Because he thought he was just part of the chosen frozen and it was going to be his four and no more. And so he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to see Jesus' response. Very seldom did Jesus ever just directly answer a question. Look what Jesus says. What is written in the law? What is written in the law? This man, an expert of the law, had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Everyone say Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus. Let us, uh, November, <laughs> November, yeah, Numbers and Deuteronomy. By the time he was 13 years of age, he had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Just take, if you have your Bible, you just open up those first five books. It's like, wow. He knew it by heart. He was an expert, and other people recognized his ability to be able to dialogue and to communicate. And Jesus asked him a simple question. How do you read it? How do you read the Bible? You know, there's all kinds of ways to read the Bible. There's all kinds of ways. You can make the Bible say just about anything that you want it to say. Jesus begins to narrow down, how do you read it? He answered, Deuteronomy, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. This was the, the great command of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. See, it was the God part that he was okay with. It was the neighborly part that he was challenged with. Before you get too critical about this teacher of the law, just take a deep look right inside of here. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to worship and talk about loving a God that I can't see and loving the guy who sits right next door to me or lives next door to me or works next door to me who just irritates the daylights out of me. Come on, it's easy to love something you can't see, but when there's someone right in front of you to love, that's the great challenge. But he wanted to justify. He wanted to make himself look good. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man pass by the other side, so too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And he saw him and took pity. Everyone say, took pity. Or he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Everyone say, he put the man in his own automobile. There you go. And he took him to the inn. He took him to the hospital, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Here's Jesus. Second question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which one? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that in our neighborhood, Lord, we thank you for every opportunity to serve, every opportunity that you give us to become more like you. And Lord, I ask right now that every heart would be open. I pray for every person in this room to have hearing ears to see. I thank you last night that in our time of prayer, in our time of intercession, we sensed there was a deep work of your spirit stirring something in the hearts of the people of God who identified with this local church. God, that you've given us a mission and a vision to bring your love to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Father, I pray for your people this morning that their hearts would be open to receive. In Jesus' wonderful name.
You may be seated this morning. A surgeon, an engineer, and a lawyer were asked which of their professions were the oldest. The surgeon said it was his because in Genesis chapter 2, God took a rib from Adam and created Eve. The engineer said, no, 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 no. Uh, No, no, listen. It's my profession because in Genesis chapter 1, God made the world out of chaos. The lawyer replied, who do you think created the chaos? Lawyers. Lawyers don't always have a good reputation among people. Because many times we see lawyers as people who, although they can be, you know, helpful in some circumstances, they can also create a lot of chaos. This particular lawyer, he knew the law really well, but the challenge for him and the challenge for every person is to live out the commands of God. You see, Jesus, Jesus was challenging this particular individual and the way that he thought about God, the way that he thought about religion, and the way that he thought about life. We're coming into a very divisive time in our culture because in the next year, we're going to hear political campaigns and us lucky folks being located on the I-4 quarter here in Central Florida, we're going to be bombarded. We're going to be receiving emails and phone calls. And you're going to wonder, how in the world do they get my phone number? It's unlisted. I don't know how they do it, but they're going to get your number. And they're going to send you emails, and they're going to run television commercials, and you're going to go to the mailbox, and you're going to get nothing but a stack of political advertisements slamming and tearing apart and saying all kinds of terrible things about other people. And it can become a very divisive time because right in our own church, we have different opinions and different ideas about what the law says and the way the law should be applied in our life. Jesus, as he was living in his generation, he wasn't a Republican, he wasn't a Democrat, he wasn't a Pharisee, he wasn't a a Sadducee, he was a son of God. See, he identified himself, he knew his purpose and his reason for being on this planet. If you were to put this story into modern vernacular, you might say something like this. You might say there was a Pentecostal preacher, there was a, 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 a Baptist Sunday school teacher, and there was a Jehovah Witness door knocker. Or if you don't like that analogy, you might say something like this. There was a Republican, there was a Democrat, and there was a socialist. Let's get real, let's just make it plain. Because sometimes when we talk about these different kinds of people, we can't identify. Jesus, in this story, identified three people. He talked about a priest. Priests had a call of God. They came from the Levitical tribe. There were over, there were thousands of them in this time period, but they had a, a responsibility to minister in the temple. They offered sacrifices. They took care of the religious duties for the people. And then there were the Levites. There's actually over 12,000 Levites that were attendants at the temple. They were servants to the priest. They, they, they were cousins to the priest. And their relationship in the Jewish community was to be responsible. They took care of the books. They were like good deacons in a church. They took care of the finances. They took care of the facilities. They took care of the utilities. And so we had these priests who were the teachers, and they were the communicators, and they were the ones who, orda- uh, who did the ordained kind of things in ministry. And then we had the servants. And these two guys had a challenge. They found themselves, they were in obviously a busy time, they had a full day, they were leaving the temple, and they were walking down this road. They were going from Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was about an 18-mile journey, and this particular road was known for his bandits. It was known for highway robbery. 
There were lots of thugs. There were lots of criminals. And the, the fact is that he was challenging by himself, put himself in a very precarious position. Jesus begins to deal with this man about who was really his neighbor. See, the priest and the Levite, they were good guys. Everyone say good guys. They were good guys. I mean, they really were doing their best, but they were busy. They didn't have enough time. I mean, when they looked over and saw this guy beaten and laying on the side of the road, it was like, oh, man, what do I do? I mean, this is just, this is too much. You know, I've been serving God all day. I've been working hard all day at my job. I, I've been taking care of my kids all day. I mean, you can list the kinds of things that engage us in activity and life. And then all of a sudden, you throw something like this into our life. Throw a person who has a problem. All of a sudden, something lands on your doorstep, and it wasn't in your daytime, or it wasn't something that you weren't planning on doing. That's exactly the challenge that faced this guy. You see, this man knew the law. He knew the law. He knew with the Word of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Who's your neighbor today? Who's my neighbor? In this story, in this context, in this understanding, your neighbor is any person that you come along in the path of life who has a need. Oh, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. My wife and I were talking about this just in our little sphere. How many needs? How many people come to our church? They have financial needs. They have physical needs. They have spiritual needs. Uh, uh, single, you know, single moms in our church. There's just so many needs. And sometimes I look at it and I just feel completely overwhelmed. But when I begin to look at that story, I begin to realize Jesus didn't tell this man to go out and to fix everybody's needs. He told him to meet the one need, the need of the person that was right in front of him. You see, this man was left for dead. He was beaten. He was stripped down. He was robbed. As T.D. Jakes would say, he was broke, busted, and disgusted. I mean, he was broke, literally broke. In our room this morning, some of you might feel this way emotionally. You just feel broken inside. Maybe you've gone through a really abusive relationship. Maybe financially it's just not working in your life. You're broke. You're spiritually broke, but you're also financially broke. Maybe emotionally inside you're really damaged and really hurt. And we go through these things. We have these emotions and these feelings. We have a great need. And we have, when we have a need, when we have a need, we need someone to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, you come into this place this morning. You come into this place where your needs can be met because there is one who is the need meter, and his name is Jesus. Jesus always challenges us to be his people who demonstrate love through our hands, through our feet, through our actions, and through our words. You see, this man was left for dead. He was beaten. The priest, the Levite, these were good guys. These were good guys. They were good law-abiding citizens. They were guys that were doing their part. But this just seemed to be too big for them. Didn't have time. Their schedule was too busy. They had to go home. That, whatever it was, whatever, whatever they had to do, 
They weren't able to wrap their hearts and their minds around what it was to meet a need of another person. This person that was beaten most likely was a Jewish person. A Jewish person. And this day, 2,000 years ago, in the time of Christ, there was great animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jew and they were half Gentile. They were actually Assyrians. And in the Jewish worldview, there was no way that these people could be saved. They were not the children. They were impure. They had impurities in their life. They had the wrong kind of blood. They had the wrong kind of belief system. They had the wrong kind of thinking about God. They just they couldn't see it. They just couldn't see how these people could come in and be part of the family of God. And the Samaritans, because when you live this way in conflict with people for a long period of time, they felt the exact same way. They had tremendous animosity. There was great hatred and division among these two people. Today, all around the world, all around the world, there's conflicts taking place among people groups. There's brother against brother. There's cousin against cousin. It isn't just in America that the racial, there's a racial problem. You can go to Africa, there's racial problems. You can go to, you can go to the Philippines. My, brother, my brother-in-law is Filipino. And in the Philippines, there's racial animosity and division among different Filipino tribes. They can't stand one another. I mean, you can go all over the world. You see ethnic conflict and tension where people, someone did something 400 years ago, and they passed on that seed of bitterness from one generation to the next. You can go to the country of Ireland, an English-speaking Anglo country, and you have the north with the Protestants and the south with the Catholics, and they've been blowing up bombs and killing one another for a long, long period of time. I mean, there's this animosity that develops in the hearts of people because the enemy has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. You see, loving God with your words, loving God with the idea seems to be a fairly easy thing. But when the rubber hits the road, when we have to demonstrate the love of God through our actions, through the way that we live, the way that we see other people and speak about other people and treat other people, that's the real challenge. Good guys just couldn't wrap their heart and their mind around it. You see, this guy this morning, this guy this morning, we can learn some lessons from him. I have a little handout here that you can take this morning. I want, I want to see some lessons that we can learn from the Samaritan. The first thing that I want you to see from the Samaritan this morning is that he made time. He made time in his busy schedule. I don't know what he was doing. Jesus doesn't give us a lot of other information about this particular guy. But he made time. See, the tendency of our life is all of us are very busy with activity. There's a concept in the business world called creating margin. Creating margin. In other words, creating space or room in your life to do things that maybe wouldn't be on your daytime before the day. All of us. Creating that margin in our life. See, looking for opportunities to be a person who makes divine appointments a reality in the life of someone else. That's the heart of the believer. The reason that most Christians dread the thought of going to a prayer meeting for an hour is because they can't figure out what in the world they would pray for for one hour. I mean, think about it. Most of the reasons that people don't, I mean, you've got to be pray for an hour? No way. What am I going to pray for? Last night, I sent out a text to all the people that I had their phone numbers from. I said, I'm going into prayer. And I'm at the interstate. So we had 22 people here last night. I'm going to pray for you. And I tell you, I started getting responses back. And I started praying over every single one of those texts. And you know what I found? 
that one hour, I needed an hour and a half. I never even prayed for myself one time. I never even had a chance to pray for myself because I was praying for other people. And when you begin to live your life like Jesus, see, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a sacrifice or a ransom for many. When you begin to live your life like that, it's just not about you. Everyone say, it's not about me. See, this man made time in a busy world. In order for this to happen in your life, it has to be intentional. The focus of your life has to be otherward. You have, listen, this is a challenge for all of us because we all need downtime and we need restoration time. And Jesus taught all those things. And the fact is you can't meet every need. But there is a need that God will place right before you. The second thing that I want you to see, look what it says in verse number 33. It says he was motivated by compassion. He saw the man and he had compassion. Compassion was the model that Jesus laid out when people were hungry. The Bible said that Jesus had this deep emotional feeling that motivated him to do something. It says he was moved with compassion when he saw a woman who had an issue of blood, who spent everything that she owned for 12 years on doctors trying to get herself fixed. The Bible says that when Jesus saw her, he was moved with compassion. I mean, it's the model that Jesus laid out for us and Why this church is here today is because God filled my heart with compassion for people who needed Christ. When we started this church, you can go back to the very beginning notes, my journals, the goals that I'd set out for the church. One of the ministries that I wanted to start here was Celebrate Recovery. Because, see, I I had a problem with addiction in my life as a a young person to drugs and alcohol. But when I went to the church, there really wasn't any help. Our church wasn't set up to help people who had hurts habits and hang-ups as a matter of fact most people when they go into a church if they really have a problem don't feel very welcome and the reason they don't feel very welcome because there's not a lot of room for people who have problems there's just not a lot of room and i wrote down and said god i want to start a celebrate recovery and we went about five six years without being able to start a celebrate recovery but i had this book in my office great big manual how to start a celebrate recovery and about five or six, seven years ago, a woman came into our church. Her name was Julie Zahn. And Julie had been a professional counselor, a psychologist, and, and I began to share the vision with her. And she took that book and she just began to lay out the plan. And she began to communicate the vision. And today, seven years later, City Church, for seven years, seven years, we've provided a place for people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Come on, let's give God a great big hand. You're here today. One of the women in our church that's attending Celebrate and kind of struggle with it because she's been a Christian for a while. And, you know, what are people going to think? She said, listen, if you come to Christ as an adult, if you come to Christ as an adult, the reason you come to Jesus as an adult is because you don't have your life all figured out. You probably got something wrong. You probably got a crisis in your life. And let me tell you today, ministries, the ministry of Christ was to meet the people's needs right where they were at. That's the compassion of Christ. That's why City Church is here. City Church is in this community. The reason that God brought us all the way across the country was so that my wife and I and our two boys could partner with a group of people in this community who had a desire to bring God's love to the city one person at a time. You see, I can't bring God's love to everybody, but through the people that God has brought into this church family, we can demonstrate the compassion of Christ one person at a time. You see, 
over the years, I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of wonderful people. People who believe that God has called them to enlarge their circle of love. We have some very close friends who used to be youth pastors in this community. And they actually, we had really tried to figure out how they could come on staff when we first started the church, but God had another plan for them. And they ended up on staff as a children's pastor at a church up in Ormond Beach. And this particular couple, they, they, they loved God and they had a passion for people. And God began to show them the need for children who are, and our, we don't call them orphans, we call them foster children in our community now. We don't call them orphans, but they really are modern-day orphans. And God began to give them a vision for foster children. And so they adopted one child, and they adopted another child, and they adopted another child, and they adopted another child. And as they were adopting children, they started having their own children. I met this couple over 12 years ago, but a couple of years ago, we were having lunch with this couple, and they began to share us the vision that God had given them for the church. And they said, you know, if every church in America would find a family to take one foster child, the foster care system in America would be fixed. If we could just find one. We have families right here in our own church that have adopted special needs children. You see, when we do these kinds of things, we are being motivated by the compassion of Christ to minister to needs of people. I want you to know today, as I was listening to Steve and Sandy share their story, I said, see, what they did is they enlarged their circle of love. Every person that's here today, you're here on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock because there's something in your heart that loves Jesus. You don't have it all figured out yet. You're still working through your stuff, but there's something in you that loves God. You see, and when God's love begins to touch and to fill your heart, He begins to broaden your horizon. One of the great challenges that all of us have is what Paul said, we were to die to ourselves, Because the human nature wants to keep rising up and putting ourselves in first place. See, these ministries of compassion, there are so many. I mean, there are so many needs in our community. In Seminole County alone, there are over 800 children who are homeless. In this, in this community, in the Central Florida community, we have more homeless children. And matter of fact, most of them reside right here in the city of Sanford. As a matter of fact, it became such a national story that just a couple of months ago, 60 Minutes ran two shows showing the homeless program, showing the homeless problem here in Central Florida. I began to think about a former staff member that used to be in our church, and, and he's, still, he's still part of our church. He's not on our, our team as far as serving on a daily basis, but we were reading a book called Conspiracy of Kindness. And his heart got fired up about meeting the needs of other people, and, and he it was a really cold night. It must have been January, February. And, and all around our church, there are people that are homeless. Matter of fact, if you come to first service and you come here early, you'll see people that will come up to this campus and we have bread out for them. And people that will come up and they'll take the bread and they'll leave. A lot of them live right around this community. There's some that live back here in the backwoods and they live in different places. There are little homeless camps all over the Sanford community. And, and this particular brother, he had such a burden for these people on a really cold night. He went up to Dunkin' Donuts and he got a bunch of coffee. He grabbed a bunch of blankets and he went out to the homeless community not too far from our church here and he began to meet the need. You know what that's called? That's called compassion. He was telling me this particular story and as he was telling me that story, he said and things were happening in his life and he began to sow into other people's lives. He said he was driving up to the toll booth and he was driving up to the toll booth and he was scrounging for some change and he said I didn't have enough money to go to the toll booth and he said, as I got up to the toll booth, he said, 
told the guy, I don't have the money. And the guy looked and said, don't worry about it. The guy in front of you just paid the way. I said, come on, Dave Stewart. Let's give Dave a great big hand. Come on, Dave. I begin to think about that circle of compassion and love. What happens when you begin to focus outwards on other people? When you begin to pray for other people? When you begin to demonstrate compassion? God supplies and takes care of all your needs. Here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. When you're trying to live for yourself, it never works. But when you give your life away and you put the kingdom of heaven first, you seek God, you seek kingdom, you seek His purpose, you get involved, you meet the needs of at least one person, do something to make a difference in one person's life. You know what happens? God meets all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Someone said, Amen. He met the need in a practical, tangible way. Practical, tangible way. Yesterday, Laura and I were at the mall. You know, this guy bound up the wounds of the person and, and took him to a hospital, took him to a hotel, put him on his, all these kinds of things. So it was, it was a practical reality. He met it in a practical way. It was practical. It wasn't just saying, God bless you, brother. I'll pray for you. He actually did something. He actually did something to make a difference in a person's life. Laura and I were at the mall yesterday in Altamont. And I was looking for this sweater. I still can't get that dumb thing zipped up. There you go. I got it now. We'll just practice zipping it. We'll get you guys all warmed up for the next service. And we were in the mall, and I was standing, and I was actually watching the Mr. Rogers video again for the 50th time. I was watching the video, and there was a guy at the cell phone counter right in front of me. And I noticed he was looking at me, and a large young man. And I think, boy, he looks familiar. And then he points at me, and he says, City Church. City Church. I couldn't remember his name. His name was Joseph. Joseph Poole. Joseph Poole was a 12, 13-year-old boy. Came with his little sister on the bus. We used to run the buses in Altamont Springs. City Church started off as a bus ministry. This young man, he pointed his fingers, and he had the biggest smile on his face. I said, well, how are you doing? I said, he said, oh, I just I got a little girl. I said, well, are you married? He goes, yeah, I've been married for a year. We got a little girl. I said, you going to church? He goes, yeah, I go to House of Hope or some church in his community. I said, awesome. He said, you guys still have those great big buses? I said, no, nah, we, we have vans now. Buses were a little more complicated. And actually, it's a longer story than that, but couldn't go into it. He said, there were some good memories on those buses. There were some good times on those buses. That's when I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> in this city. There's so many. There's so many needs, and I don't feel overwhelmed. This man, though, had the heart of God. See, he wasn't the right thinking, according to the religious people. He didn't have the right political beliefs. He didn't have the right doctrine belief, but he demonstrated the love of God. The last two things I have in there is he took his cash, and he took his credit. <laughs> he had cash. See, the reason God gives people cash is so that they can fulfill his destiny. So many people struggle financially. I'm not saying I haven't had financial challenges, but i got to tell you, I lived the moment I came to Christ. Man, I just opened up my hands. I said, God, I don't even deserve to be here. 
I spent way more shoving it up my nose and pouring it down my throat than I ever gave to God. I spent 50% of my living wasting it. What's 10%? Come on. Come on. Think about it. You know, I've never lacked one time. I've never missed a bill one time. I've never been late on a car payment one time. I've never been late on a mortgage payment. I've never been late on an electric bill one time. I don't know why. I don't understand it all. Let me tell you, this man gave his cash because he understood the value of touching the life of another person. When you give to a local church like City Church, you're giving because you understand the word church is meeting needs. So you're just doing what God says. But he had a good name. He had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. Because he had a good reputation, he could leave that man. He'd come back and he'd take care of that need. In our community right now, the next step for City Church, the next level for City Church is for us to go back to the beginning things that we did. I told you at the very beginning of the year, God spoke, to, actually last year, God spoke to my heart about loving this city, being a, meeting the needs in a practical, tangible way, being the hands and the feet, not being div- divisive, not being divided over political parties, not being divided over issues of things that separate people, but unite and rally around the love of Jesus. See, you're more like Jesus when you do the things that Jesus did. This man gave his cash and he gave his credit. Begin to think about the needs in our our community. I just wrote several down. I didn't put them in your notes. Because I want to challenge us today. I want to challenge us today. If you're here today and you're broken, you've come to a house of healing. You're here today. You're emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially broken. I want you to know there's help for you today. There's hope for you today. You need counseling. We have counselors. You need help in managing your finances. We can't pay all your bills today, but I want you to know we can give some people into your life that can give you some wisdom, some understanding on how to manage money. There's some things that we can do practically, but I want you to know until the heart changes, none of the other stuff matters. Until your heart is fully surrendered, my my life never really worked until I fully surrendered my life to Christ. And that's where it starts. God, I live my life. I want to love you, not just with my words, but with all my heart, soul, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. And that's when your Christian life begins to work. When you begin to give your life, when you begin to pour out your life to meet the needs of another person. In our community, right now, I already mentioned, I already mentioned that there are churches all over our, our community that are partnering together to meet the needs of the homeless. Next week, our team is going to meet with the local crisis pregnancy center. We're going to come alongside of a woman by the name of Angela who's got an incredible story. We're going, to, we're going to figure out how we can do a better job of partnering with young women that get pregnant without a father. In our community, our, there are children that can be picked up and brought to church with their families. You can be involved. We have a ministry called Go Missions where our desire is to go to other communities and other countries to be, be a blessing, to build churches and to minister to people. Right across the street, there's a nursing home. My wife and I, we used to do, for one year, we did three nursing home services a week. I couldn't preach my way out of a paperback. I remember standing up one time. I was in an Alzheimer ward, and, and I was supposed to preach, and I looked at these people and the blankest stares in their face, and I, like, I read a scripture verse, and I said, Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. And we sang Amazing Grace, and I sat down. I mean, I, you can't get me to shut up now. I mean, there's a local adoption agency, City Church's Benevolence. Our food pantry is bare right now. We have families. I mean, they call us all week long. We have people that come up every Sunday. Our food pantry right now, our food pantry needs needs, needs to be restocked. 
How about mow your neighbor's lawn? You know, your kids run over to your neighbor's house and the grass is three feet high and they get lost in it. Why don't you go over and mow it? Oh, wait a second. That's their responsibility. Volunteer in a home, physically, mentally impaired. I mean, you can just go down the list. How about your coworker next door struggling in the marriage? I mean, I mean, the, the needs are endless. They're endless. And you're not going to fix them all. I'm going to challenge you today. i got a little thing at the bottom of there. Today, today I'm going to commit. Because the Holy Spirit's been speaking. I know. I know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Well, it's so big. Well, there's one need maybe that's right in front of you today. Right in front of you today. How can you show compassion? How can you serve? How can you give to make a difference in the life of one right now? Can we take just a moment close your eyes right now? Can we do that? Spirit, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you comfort us in our time of need, but you also convict us when our focus gets on the wrong thing. Thank you as a Christian community of believers. Thank you that, Lord, today we focused our attention. We said, yes, Lord, help us to meet the need of one. God, we're overwhelmed when we look at all the needs. We don't know how you can do it. But Father, help us today to do something to make a difference in the life of the one, to enlarge our circle of love. Father, I ask right now for the grace, the grace, because we can't do this. Lord, our natural person is self-focused and self-centered, and it's all about us. So we need you to change our heart today, to fill our hearts with your love. Father, I ask right now that you will touch the hearts of your people, even as they're praying in this moment. That heads bowed and I close. You're in this room, and Maybe you're the one that's in need. Maybe you fell along the wayside. And you're broken today and you're hurt. You've been beat up by the devil. You've been beat up by life. And I want you to know there's help right here for you today. We're not just going to let this moment pass by. We're not just going to be too busy to go to the next service. We're going to take a moment right now and you're here in this room. You're here in this room today. You've been beaten up. You've been left. I don't care what it is. I don't know what's happened in your life, but I know there is one who cares. We're going to take just a moment. We're going, to, we're going to do our part in coming alongside. To do what we can spiritually. If we can do something naturally, we're going to do that today. Right now, you're in this room. You've been beaten up by life. Challenges in front of you. You just feel like, God, I can't even get out of bed today. You're in this room right now. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Right now in this room. Come on. See that hand. See that hand. See that hand. See that hand over there. Come on. See that hand over there. Let's stand together. See that hand right now. Let's stand together right now. And you raised your hand. We can't pray for you unless you take a step of faith. This man couldn't come up. But this morning you can do something. You can take that step. And we're going to pray for you this morning. 